So it is podcast 38 and Jamie's away. What are we going to do? Just like I promised, I found someone whose uh, first name begins with J-A and we've got Jake Robbins on the show from the We Martians podcast. How are you doing, Jake? Hey, how's it going? The Interplanetary Podcast. The exploration of space for the benefit of all mankind. Your hosts here in London, Matt Russell and special guest host, Jake Robbins from Canada. But I, I have noticed that you're drinking a bottle of beer in the picture there. <laughs> no, not, don't tell anyone. No. So not cool. <laughs> I know. Well, do, do you know what? I, I feel as though I ruined last week's podcast by drinking wine. You can even hear me eating chocolates. I was, and as, as I was editing it, it, I was annoying myself. So I apologize to all the listeners out there. Well, I have to represent Canada. So I, what better way to do it than with a brew? Do, do all countries think they drink beer? Yeah, that's the, that's the perennial thing. Every country thinks that they're the... Uh, the worst beer drinkers, yeah. Turn, it turns out that Russia are. <laughs> <laughs> right. So uh, what should we talk about first? Well, being that you're the We Martians podcast, and, and anyone who hasn't heard that podcast should go immediately out and subscribe, um, we should talk about Mars a lot on this program. I think we should have a Mars special, what do you reckon? Let's do it. I saw a news article uh, that uh, I think is pretty interesting, and that's about ancient Earth-like lake on Mars that could have been full of life. Yeah. So can you tell us a bit more about that one? Yeah, so this is really cool because they, like, this is all, it's it's very science-y. So if you, do you know what, what, a, what, a, what a, <laughs> we're going to get a lot of science done today. Do you know, do you know what, a, like, what I mean when I say strata? You've heard the term strata or, or st- I, I, yeah, stratigraphy? Uh, yeah. So it looks a bit... Well, it looks almost like you've got some really dodgy builders in, and put and they put like they've just left a load of paving <laughs> paving slabs outside of your house, right? That's basically <laughs> sedimentary rock. Yeah, <laughs> you've, <Yep>. you've you've <laughs> distilled all of sedimentary geology into one analogy. Yep. It's perfect. Yeah, so I mean, if you think about like a river depositing sediment over a landscape over and over and over, and makes layers and layers, and it compounds mm. down into rock. That's what strata is. And I guess in this study, uh, what they did is they measured some of the, um, the the mineral contents of the strata at the edge of a lake in Gale Crater. Because Gale Crater, which is where Curiosity drives around, that used to be mm-hmm. a big lake, right? And what they can tell is that based on the mineral content there, they can tell what was in the water at that kind of depth. Mm-hmm. And it turns out the water stratas as well like the water will separate into layers within the same lake and they're able to kind of reverse engineer what these layers are which is really crazy so i mean the the end result being like you know this depth of the lake would have this kind of life and this depth of the lake would have this kind of life well not life but the possibility for this kind of life i mean (laughs) <laughs> that was the ridiculous thing one of the stories that jumped out at me was that the headline different microbes existed in same martian lake yeah. and i thought whoa whoa i thought this this is brilliant we've got the best news news article ever for our uh, martian <laughs> podcast yeah. i read it i was a you know you know when you get a headline like that and, and the news is a little bit disappointing yeah sometimes but they the, get ahead of themselves <laughs> with the uh, with the headlines there yeah so so, so it's essentially that that there was a, a time when this lake existed and you could have had different types of microbe existing so that there, there's lots of different chances of life springing up. Yeah, is that kind the, the of takeaway the is there's like there's different t- kinds of environments within this same small subset, this one lake, which is uh, hmm. which is cool. I mean, this always blows my mind, the scientists. They're just like, they kind of scratch. You got a rover there and it just scratches the ground a little bit and shoots a laser at it and measures it. And it's like, now I know what this lake looked like. <laughs> I, 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 I still have to, like a struggle with them piecing together this like history from uh, yeah. whatever they... I mean, that, that, well, that's, just, that's exactly like paleontology, isn't it? Where, where it it's is, like they yeah. build up what these dinosaurs look like and it turns out they've only found like a, a toenail or something like that yeah <laughs> it's, just, it's just ridiculous you know um yeah and they haven't even done it with the dna they've just somehow worked it out from yeah just the odd bone fragment but i guess the same thing's going on isn't it yeah there's they're some cl- there's some clever geologists basically there are some very clever geologists yes <laughs> they're uh they're, they're uh, yeah, heroes of mine I, so well i mean you've had quite a few on your show haven't you geologists i try yeah the, i have a little bit of a a little bit of a soft spot for geology it's one of my <laughs> uh favorite ones which i think was why i'm into planetary science so much and uh, i've had some pretty uh credentialed and and intelligent 
young people on my show <laughs> and old people too, actually, I guess. All, yeah, all, yeah. all walks yeah. of life, so. Yeah, I mean, uh, it is a pretty good subject. Well, one of my best mates was a geologist, and he specialized in tasting rocks, which I always thought was <laughs> That's quite That's a funny. very, very geologist thing to do. you got to lick every rock <laughs> yeah. to make sure you know what it is. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, well he's, you know, he's doing very well in the oil business now. So, you know, get into geology is quite, it's quite, quite, quite I think in geology good. they call that selling out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he, he has sold out, trust me. <laughs> so, so was that, where's that? With in, with Gale Crater, am I right? I'm, I'm looking at Gale Crater, and it reminds me of the, the craters on Moon, where you've had an impact, and then you get a mountain or a, a sort of yeah, huge mountain in the middle, yeah, where yeah. the sort of uh, rebound shock of the of the yeah. whatever plunged into the planet is that what's happened at Gale Crater? So is that Mount Sharp in the middle is one of those rebound mountains? I think so. Yeah, there's some some sort of like you know impact dynamic if you study hmm. how it happens, and you get that after effect which which pulls the the earth back up and then kind of layers it back down again and then i guess once it's full of water then it just it's kind of eroding those layers down and down and down and you can kind of see so yeah so so what sort of time period from the beginning of the solar system what sort of time period was that um was was gale crater full of water what what uh well i mean i think most of the the periods on mars when there was water at all is all the same kind of area and uh they call it um, the Noachian era, which if, if you follow the root word, it's Noah and it's all about the flood, right? That's why they call it. That. Oh, right. yeah, okay. So, um, so it's about 3 billion years ago, three to three and a half, yep. I think is kind of the rough range. And, and, I'm like not a geologist. I yeah. should just totally preface that. <laughs> this is all secondhand information that I've learned from smarter yeah. people than me, but that's doesn't stop me and Jamie each week or, or <laughs> yeah. Jamie and I, I should yeah. say. Yeah. So how long did the water hang around for on Mars? So you've got, you've got 3 billion years ago. So that's, so the water's sort of, that, that's a bit later, isn't it? Than earth or did, cause earth was like about 4 billion years ago. We got water. Is that? Yeah. Well, I'm not sure when they, when it started. Cause you can get, um, I mean, late, Noachian versus early Noachian could span a billion years, mm. or yeah. you know, for all I know, right? So um, I'm not sure. They're still trying to piece that together. I think kind of the 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 rate of of disappearance and and where it all went and why it all went away, right? That's part of mm. why the the Mars um, the Maven mission from NASA is there mm. is measuring the yeah. atmosphere loss, which is related and. You know, it's why all the rovers are there really right now. It's trying to figure out what happened, right? Yeah, and the bottom line is the reason why there's no water there anymore is Mars lost its magnetic field. Is that right? And then so therefore it lost its atmosphere and just couldn't have... Yeah, yeah, you could probably draw that line. And that's probably the prevailing theory right now, right? No magnetosphere, so all mm. the the solar wind just like blasts the atmosphere and it all strips it all away. So pressure drops, it gets colder. Yep, and then it becomes a dead planet. But like you said, I, I, I really liked in, in our notes that we've done, you said that you know we often perceive Mars as being this, this dead planet, but, it, but there's a lot going on, isn't there, on, on, on Mars? Like ton, when you, yeah. when <laughs> you, you see, I mean, there's a lot of pictures where I can't really quite work out what's going on with a lot of Mars pictures. I, I, have, you, have you ever been on one of those citizen science, you know, universe zoo, I think they're called? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, things, and, and you sort of look at Martian pictures and, 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 and put, you know, your areas of interest from their kind of... Yeah, that's... Um, they they mean, give you some instructions. The yeah. Planet 4 does the Mars ones, right? So they've got yeah. like a, a three or four different um, uh, kind of paths you can go down. You can look for those fan shapes or the blotches or the spiders yeah, right, yeah. or the... All that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's um, it's pretty fascinating. I know I there's this computer program called JMars, and it's basically it's like Google Earth but for for Mars, and then you can all the data sets from all the spacecraft are, are keyed into it, so you can just like zoom in somewhere and be like, I want to see what the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter saw here. I want to see what you know uh, Mars Express yeah. saw here. And there's times when I just like waste two hours just like looking I, at stuff. I know what. what- <laughs> Well, thanks to you, because I, I, I think I picked that up off your Twitter feed and ended up doing the same thing, falling down the Mars rabbit hole, yeah. as it were. And you're just like, what is that shape? <laughs> what is that color? Like, why is... Yeah, it's a... it's a Mars, that's the biggest takeaway I have I could ever give someone as to, you know, what I learned from becoming a space enthusiast or a Mars enthusiast. It's just like, 
it is not a dead world. There is so much happening there. It's so dynamic. It's so diverse. It's 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 an awesome planet. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, I mean, it's just just reading these Mars stories this week. It's it, it, there's 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 tons going on, isn't there? Yeah. Uh, so what what was the uh, one one story that that came up with was uh, several times in my newsfeed was this thing about halos. What what was that about? What's the what are these halos and how does that widen the time frame of life yeah well so if you think about like um you know when when mud dries up you get like a big mud pit and it dries yeah. up and then it cracks right yeah and you get all these kind of cracks and then the water seeps the remaining water can seep into the cracks and so they found kind of the same thing um at a place in gale crater called the stimson formation and it's so and they, what they saw is that the 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 earth or the the regolith by the cracks was lighter mm-hmm. and they can kind of measure the gradient and they can measure the composition of what's in there curiosity was drilling the the heck out of this place they were just pulling holes and, and seeing what was going on there and uh what they ended up concluding is they were able to say okay well there was water higher up here on the higher up the mountain slope than we thought at this time period which tells them that basically this lake existed for a longer period than they originally had you know modeled yeah so it's just this is like it's like one more piece of evidence on a growing mountain of of studies that's like hey mars was pretty wet and pretty warm for a long time which is getting everyone very excited from a astrobiological uh, perspective right well yeah and it even rained apparently is that right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's a lot of rain now did mars get its water from uh comets well you you tell me i don't know (laughs) (laughs) because where did earth get its water well it's yeah i mean I mean, that was one thing when we, we spoke to the guy, um, Gerhard, from, uh, who was part of the Rosetta mission. He was a lead scientist quite early on. And he, yeah. was, he was saying that the, the results from Rosetta were, were, were not what they were expecting. They were expecting the water from these comets to be, to be more similar to the water on Earth, have that you know, uh, balance between the different isotopes. But it yeah, doesn't. Yeah. So that, that, that there is a quite there's, there's way more doubt on that uh, comet comet seeding the Earth with water, and that probably yeah, that would mean either yeah. it came from somewhere else or something yeah. happened to the comet water to change it, right? Yeah, which which is probably more unlikely than than this whole thing that water seeped up from you know water water in the rocks below the surface. So yeah, I don't know. No. Oh, clearly I don't know. I was hoping you yeah. did. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> but like, I, have to, I have to get a, a water expert on the show. Yeah, also. no, yeah, that, someone, some. Well, I wonder if anyone knows. I mean, if we don't know where water came from on Earth, it's probably, a, you know, it, it's it would probably come from the same place, right? You'd think. I mean, that's uh, that's kind of one of the themes is that all these planets sort of have similar origin stories, mm. right? And then once they get kind of started, then their paths diverge and they they become you know the unique places they are today, but. Uh, there was water very early in, in Earth's past, very early in Mars' past, so yeah. it stands to reason that they probably have a similar origin. Yeah, but, uh, yeah I mean, so we've got, we kind of have to just guess for now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if we've got Earth and, and Mars, and I guess possibly Venus, all sitting there, these lovely watery planets, and we know on Earth that we had life started really, really quickly, as in that, that mic- microbial life started very very quickly on earth so could we have had a sort of cross pollination of that life i.e this panspermia idea panspermia yeah 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 i mean where do you sit on that one i mean because it, it, it seems to me that if you've got i mean we do seem to get hit by an awful lot of mars material each year i don't know what the the estimate was but it was it was quite a bit 500 kilograms I think that came from that came from another article about 500 kilograms every year. So that you think, well, yeah, you know, if if that amounts landing on Earth over the over the millennia, you'd think that some of those microbes would make it from either one planet or the other. And it may have even been more back in the back in the busy days. Of yeah, the, yeah. It, 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 good. I, I'm not sure. I mean, I think um, it's funny because you asked me where I stand on that. Yeah. And, and uh it's not really the kind of thing you have an opinion, like a like a like a, a political stance on, right? It's you you have to kind of just look at the evidence and and make your best guesses and and go with what you have. And we only have, I think, as far as like samples go, there's actually a very s- small number of Mars 
meteorite samples that we yeah. have here right i think it's like they're they're numbered and they're they're all known if you if you yeah. study those you know every one of them there's like 110 <laughs> or, or so or well, yeah. don't quote me on that but it's around that number um and they haven't found anything yet but uh that's uh one of the theories that that really excites people is the idea that life could travel through interplanetary space yep. and 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 cross pollinate these planets right which would be uh pretty impressive it somehow changes everything. I mean, I really like I really like that uh, the whole idea of uh, the, the the Fermi paradox, and then that that leads on to the Great Filter. And at what yeah. point we have this Great Filter? Because finding life on Mars actually might, in some ways, be a bad thing. Because it's like, well, of, well, life is you know, particularly if if you found life had existed on Mars, then it's like, well, hang on a sec, life is really prevalent. It's almost like a mold that you can't stop growing so if life is really easy to happen then what is the why are we not seeing the other aliens why why do we have the fermi paradox so it's like so if you do find life on another planet it's almost like well well we might be reaching that great filter ourselves maybe you know the moment you reach any form of civilization it's kind of game over for you maybe that's the great filter or maybe the cambrian or maybe the cambrian explosion is the great filter i mean that would be phenomenal if you found a slightly more complex life on on Mars, so that you dug down and you found you know a uh, you know slightly more a multicellular animal rather than a you know a microbe. Because I wonder yeah. how. It, well, I'm, that would be. <laughs> can't even imagine what <laughs> what that would do to this this planet that can barely handle some of the other stuff that's going on. No. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, it would I mean, be an amazing moment, wouldn't it? Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because like the the Fermi paradox and the Drake equation and all those things, you know, they're all they're all this this combination, especially the Drake equation, this yeah. combination of variables. Yeah, right? you got all these different variables and it's it's all it can ever be, because right now, <laughs> if we're measuring life in the universe, we have a sample size of one. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Earth. <laughs> and so if we find it on Mars, you could perceive that as a sample size of two now. Yeah. But if it's cross-pollinated, then it's back to one. You, you're back to one. <laughs> yeah, and if you maybe, like, maybe you're, if you broaden your scope a bit and say this solar system has life, then yeah, you're back to sample size of one again. Yeah. Right? Maybe maybe it's just this solar system that figures it out, and there's life all over this solar system. And then there's I don't know, like yeah, <laughs> it's it's a it's a dark rabbit hole to go yeah. down. To try and <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I wonder if there's we were talking talking about how just how vast the Oort cloud was. Just to get, yeah. you know, to get out. I listen. Uh, I mean, that's, it's just bonkers. Every time I think about it, that the, the Oort cloud is just well, it's just sort of halfway to the nearest star, and you think, well, hang on, that's just just crazy. But and you think, well, I wonder if there's a, a possibility of panspermia getting out of the solar system. So you can you can kind of perceive how you could get a rock from one planet to another, all the way out to Pluto or whatever. But past the Oort cloud, it starts to get ridiculous doesn't it you know the odds of mm-hmm. uh of anything getting out there just dwindle massively so you, like you said it, it goes down to yeah your sample size is the solar system and it's back yeah. to one again isn't it but yeah. yeah it's it's um i mean talking about the uh finding life on mars when when president clinton stood on the lawn and kind of declared <laughs> that he had I, I think what's really amazing about that is that I remember at the time it, it being a news story, and obviously it was fairly big, but it wasn't as earth-shattering as you'd imagine. Like I'm sure if a president walked onto the onto the onto the I don't know about Trump because it'd be hard to believe, but <laughs> but if a president walked out onto the onto the White House lawn again and sort of said, "Oh, we found life on Mars," I mean, surely that would be one of the most incredible moments ever. Yeah, right? and this is such a good story. For science, yeah, I know absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. It's really, it is brilliant. It's a, well, it's a bit like that discussion with Marcus, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that we had with the, the moon hoax. So it's just like, yeah, you know, you you can scientists can come up with things, and and it's 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 totally okay to to be you know to have way out there thoughts, but the but the, you know the the absolute you know the burden of the more way out your thought is, the more the burden of proof is upon you, you know. Another. Yeah, what's what's that Sagan quote? Uh, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence, or something like that, right? Um, and so this this was an extraordinary claim, right? Like, it, you know, I don't know if if it sounds like it was sort of a fast track to getting a paper out, and it, it got a lot of attention fast and escalated to the president making a very bold hmm. statement, 
And then systematically, <clears throat> science just started knocking it down. <laughs> boom, 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 right? And all this effort that went into disproving this claim that we'd found Martian microbes in this meteorite, mm. all, this, all this work actually, like, not only did it correct the wrong... Yeah, but it actually created a whole new body of science. So you know the 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 field of astrobiology, the field of detecting life on other worlds, kind of was born in this this sort of era of trying to knock this sample down. Yeah. Right? So like, how cool is that? Like you know that that uh, that you say something wrong, and we have a whole scientific field of study because of it. Well, right? well, it's fantastic. I mean, it, it, that really does say everything about scientists and I, I really do love that that whole idea of no matter how much you want it to be true you go out and you still try and disprove it and put your hands up when mm-hmm. it when it kind of is i mean the picture of the of that of that particular martian meteorite with the little tiny segment segmented kind of nematode worm type structure i mean if you, if you really stop and think you think it's almost a little bit childish to think that um that life on another planet would look so similar anyway with these kind of little yeah. segmented bodies. And okay, yeah, it is a little bit naive, unless of course panspermia. You know, there is some truth sure. to panspermia, but but the fact that it turns out that it's more likely to be the kind of coating, a sort of uneven in the coating that they put on for the electron microscope, <laughs> I think is like, oh wow, that that that's really embarrassing. But I mean, it's really it is a really compelling picture, and you think, you know, that's yeah. that's. But, you know, what's actually quite interesting is that still in that one meteorite, which is obviously a, 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 a phenomenally big Martian meteorite, I think it's, the, is it the biggest one? I think, I think it is. I'm not sure. Yeah, I didn't, uh, I didn't check that. But it's, um, it, but it does have quite a few mysteries still unsolved within it, like the, the, the types of structures that you see in it. So there, there are some interesting hints. And I do, I do like the fact that it, it doesn't rule it out one way or the other. But it's still a fun. It's very fascinating that that yeah, it got so far that 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 you have a president standing on the lawn talking about it. I think that 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 is incredible. I mean, would that yeah. would that? I don't think that would happen now, or would it? I mean, are we are we heading into an era where I, I, I can't I, get, I can't I mean, put my finger on this one? Are we heading into an era where we're less that we're less rigorous with our science or more rigorous with our science? I think uh, that's. That's a great philosophical question. I mean, I think what hasn't changed is that presidents want legacies, yeah. and uh, big time. Know, that's that's not going to go away. But no. <laughs> as far as the science goes, uh, I don't know. I, I, there's there's more science today than there ever has been ever, which is yeah. which is the the real true fact, right? I mean, there's there's more people doing science. Even go back fifty years ago, it was not this much, mm. right? So um, that's something that's going to ultimately result in better science because you've just got more people doing it more review more eyes like it's just you know the the broader you can scope it out that way the, the more impact you're going to have yeah one of the big things of course is the internet and the fact that you've got journals and and uh, peer review papers absolutely everywhere on the internet and you think you, you know i i doubt actually that this would have got to the president's lawn but purely on the fact that there would have been more scientists with their eyes on it Hopefully, yeah. you know, going, oh, you uh, you should probably hold back on this because there's there's a problem with it. Yeah. So I, I wonder. And, and there's there's lots of good early Mars stories like that too. I mean, the the Viking uh, lander had almost the same idea yeah. where it, it, like it it was like the only mission they've ever sent that was designed to just directly look for life. Like it had an experiment to like look for life, yeah. and then the result came back as like a positive, and then a negative, and then everyone was losing their minds and <laughs> and. Uh, they're still today. They're making papers on this on this this uh, this experiment, right? So it's, um, yeah, it's interesting. I just, I mean, I do wonder what would happen if they, you know, the, the moment they do find life somewhere else, you know, and there's quite a lot of people down at SETI who are convinced that we're going to pick up a signal soon. The moment that we're able yeah. to sort of get a, a larger scope, I mean, because it is quite funny when you when you look at how far we've been able to look so far, and it it's. It is quite pathetic, isn't it? I mean, when it's, you say uh, the- that's, I'm not holding my breath on that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, no, I know it's a bit depressing, isn't it? But I, God, if you did receive an alien signal, it, it would change everything, wouldn't it? It would be that would be the big. I mean, an in- intelligent life. See, I mean, a lot of the time, people when they talk about life elsewhere in the solar system, I think you know, f- finding microbes and finding bacteria is one thing, but finding 
I guess the next step up is that you know, complex life, but finding intelligent life is would just be yeah. Well, I mean, that, it's incomprehensible <laughs> to us, right? Like it's it would be totally bonkers. Yeah. So a kind of up and coming problem on Mars with uh, the communications bottleneck. What is that about? Cause- yeah. So um, this kind of started with uh, some great work by the Planetary Society. So. Um, they run an advocacy branch. Uh, there's a guy named Casey Dreyer who does tremendous work. He's got a um, a couple couple guys on his team. Um, uh, I'm, I'm forgetting their names now, but uh, but Casey Dreyer is the director of the, of the advocacy group at this Planetary Society, and they wrote this white paper, which is basically addressing the the Mars exploration program at NASA. Mm-hmm. So this is I should preface this is a NASA problem, yeah. right? This is kind of contained within the agency. It's a U.S. problem. And uh, basically, you know, they're looking at the budgets, they're looking at the missions and development, the missions that are there, and trying to forecast what do we need to be doing to keep this cadence going. Because part of the, if you look into the history of the Mars Exploration Group, you know, kind of pre-millennium, so kind of Pathfinder earlier, you had kind of the Mariner program and the Viking program, but it was very disparate. There's a long gap between all the missions. I mean, they went, you know, from... The entire 80s didn't launch like a single mission at NASA to Mars, I don't think. Yeah. Um, and so they they realized that they were having these problems, and it really kind of culminated when they had those those two uh, failures kind of back-to-back in, yep. in the late 90s, yeah, right? Yeah. The one super embarrassing <laughs> one where the contractor and the uh, and NASA just yep. didn't make the agreement on, on SI units or, or non-SI <laughs> Oops, units. I did mine in feet. What do you mean? Uh, yeah. Yep. Literally, yep. it was like yep. yard, yards versus meters or whatever it was, and... <laughs> Um, and then so they crashed an orbiter and then, uh, yeah, so they, they needed to sort of get their act together. Right. Mm. And so they, they brought in a guy named Scott Hubbard, whose, uh, nickname is the Mars czar. Right. And he basically <laughs> rebuilt the whole program, creates the, an, an actual Mars group within yep. NASA, um, that, that has its own goals that are kind of independent of the NASA science goals. And, uh, they started basically knocking it out of the park. It was like, you know, you had uh, Pathfinder and then Odyssey and then um, the Opportunity and then Spirit yeah. Rovers and, and Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter, Mars um, Mars Phoenix and, and then Curiosity. And they just started just all the, like every launch window, yeah. they were firing a mission off well, and almost yeah. all of them were successful. Which is phenomenal. I mean, all- yeah, Mars is usually the, the sort of graveyard, isn't it? Tough I mean, like, yeah, have it's Russia- still like a 50%. Yeah, I mean, what, I mean, Russia's uh, sort of record is terrible Awful isn't it? it yeah i mean yeah. <laughs> it's just oh dear they must yeah they must feel sick as a dog every time that they try yeah 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 they're uh i don't think they've really they haven't done it yet really no so, um yeah so so mars Pro exploration program is is was doing great and then the budget kind of dropped off and they started kind of spreading the missions out a little bit and no one's really noticed yet because mm. All of the the stuff they've made has been so long lasting. I mean, Opportunity was designed to go for ninety days, and it's still going almost fourteen years later. Incredible, so, yeah, that's crazy, right? And so, <laughs> all these missions that shouldn't be here are still here. So it looks like we're doing a lot at Mars. Yep. And so maybe the attention has kind of fallen back from that. And what the Planetary Society is saying is that, like Mars twenty twenty rover is the only one you have in development. Yeah. And. It's going to land in 2021, which by that point, <laughs> Mars Odyssey will be 20 years old, which is insane. Ugh. Reconnaissance Orbiter will be 16 years old, and there's no other orbiter to support it. So, like, what if those what if those die in the next two years? Yep. Like, those are the relays that yep. they use, right? So, so it's kind of this risk right now. The, the Mars program has a huge risk, mm. and if we don't get a new orbiter to take pictures and send signals back then you know mars 2020 and any future mission which there are none right now uh, are, are in big jeopardy right and right so it's it's a little scary and so what all the planetary society is trying to do is kind of kick up some dust and say hey guys pay attention you guys really need to get on this and uh hopefully someone listens to them so yeah i mean <laughs> i mean do, do the europeans and the indians of course are, are, are out there do that could the americans not sort of say oh can we borrow your satellite for a bit of data transfer yeah yeah, they can. So, but what's tricky is that um, so they and they they have prepared for that. So the the European ExoMars mission, NASA gave them a radio transmitter, right. 
and they stuck it on there. So it can communicate to Curiosity. But the problem is that it's got its own science orbit yep. that doesn't quite match the rover. So you'd get less frequent uh, uplinks. Yep. And then that, like the trace gas orbiter, the XMR's orbiter, it's there to support <laughs> the, ES, the ESA rover yep, that's coming, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. So then, you know, like there's only so much bandwidth to go around. And the, the Indian one doesn't have the transmitter and it's in a really funky orbit and it would be, it'd be no good. So yeah. they're, they're in a little bit of a pickle. They need to, to start making some decisions pretty quick. Yeah. I mean, talking of the, uh, the, the European rover, that, that's going to be a stressful landing, isn't it? After, after seeing what happened to uh, Schiaparelli. <laughs> yes. Yes, it will. I mean, um, still, I mean, the, the curiosity landing I, yeah. is still one of my favorite, you know, moments in space ever i mean it's 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 got to be up there as an engine i mean an engineering feat is just unbelievable particularly yeah, uh, i still pull up that like 30 minute video yeah, like uh, just live yeah it's play it's, by play it's, or whatever yeah, and it's, fab. Just, it's like you, edge of my seat do you know what my favorite moment of that was high rise was going round, and it took a picture it managed to take a picture of curiosity's uh, parachutes and i was just thinking oh my god yeah. that's that's actually unbelievable that the timing and the yeah. skill of that is just whoa. They did that with um with Phoenix too. You can look up the Phoenix. Oh one. wow. Oh yeah, I should do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, I'll do that. Oh wow. I'm gonna put. I'll, I'll put that with this uh, podcast. Cool, yeah. So that that really is a problem, then, isn't it? I can't think of many Mars mission, uh, um, NASA missions to Mars other than their 2020 rover. Is is and and that's that's basically it. Well, I mean, Insight's gonna launch next year, right? Um, but Insight bizarrely is not part of the mars exploration program it's it, it was funded under what's called discovery so it's it's uh it's it, it doesn't support their science goals and it wasn't managed by that group right so and it's just a it's a short short-term lander so um yeah so it's 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 a tough problem for them and it's and the reason i wanted to preface it by saying that it's nasa yeah is that if if you're like me and you're looking at all mars exploration yeah you're really excited for for 2020 and beyond because oh god yeah like even 2020 you've got the traffic jam right so nasa rover isa's rover you've got china's going to be launching a orbiter rover lander combo yeah um spacex maybe sending two dragons like there's a lot going on in 2020 2022 there's a japan mission there's an indian mission um so and another dragon possibly maybe two so like there's something like you know 10 (laughs) missions or whatever in that kind of four or five year span but only one of them is nasa yeah Ooh, so yeah. The, the the real risk to them is like they're going to be seeding that leadership right so nasa has always been the leader in mars yeah and they're at risk of handing that off to someone else and if you're like me and you're not you know tied to nasa yep. well as long as someone's doing it <laughs> i guess right but if you're nasa that should be a little scary right if you're if you're a u.s citizen that should be a little scary yeah i mean what how how many how much money would you put on uh elon musk being able to get the two red dragons on mars in 2021 whatever they're supposed to be landing uh i i think i think it'll happen wow i mean he already he already pushed the 2018 one that was the 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 iffy launch window right <laughs> but it looks like falcon heavy like knock on wood is is going to be launching this year like it yeah. finally seems like it's going to happen and as long as you get the first one up then yeah. you can start kind of progressing on it and then he's got almost two years to work out the kinks yeah um and then i don't think he's going to want to let another launch window pass right because you can't just delay it three weeks or six weeks or whatever it is. Like you miss Ooh, a launch window, yeah. you got to wait twenty six months, right? So what? But what about the um, what about this chance that he might not get permission to launch to Mars because of this whole planetary protection? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> that's a it's a whole other debate now, right? Because um, technically, they got to ask for a launch license. They'd be the first. Hmm private industry to ask for a mars landing launch license so it's going to be kind of bizarre when they go to the faa or whatever the federal aviation administration and be like can we land on mars and a bunch of guys that are used to doing air traffic control are going to try and answer that question um yeah it's going to be interesting yeah and and planetary protection will be a big part of that argument Uh, it seems that that that's that seems to me and after reading that really good uh, eric berger um article that 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 really is going to be that there is got there's got to be a a moment where that's going to be a, a really big issue in the next couple of years because I, be, yeah, yeah because it's it's there really is a conflict isn't there between 
this whole idea of keeping Mars pristine clean from microbes and that whole idea, you know, there was, am I right in saying that um, Curiosity Rover could have uh, gone and inspected like that area where it, where they could see liquid water or where they thought they could see liquid water, but they decided not to because it's not clean enough, that Curiosity Rover is not clean enough and therefore there yeah. could have been a chance of, so, you know, NASA aren't, it's like they're not messing around, are they, in terms of keeping uh, Mars no, pristine no, they, clean? They have like a, they have a whole department of planetary protection, and their their yeah. main goal is to kind of maintain the standard, right? And it's really interesting if you if you read the the Office of Planetary Protection kind of classifies planets on a scale, right? Of, of like likelihood that there are microbes there, yeah. and therefore you know we want to take less risk. Yeah. So you know, at the bottom of the scale would be something. Um, the sun like, <laughs> the sun yeah like we don't we don't need to worry about it yeah. there's nothing yeah. there we can send whatever we want there yeah. it's not a big deal um and then as you go up the scale it gets closer and closer so something like europa yeah. is higher up on the list yeah. right mars this is so the very top of the of the scale is like it's like a seven point scale or yeah. something i can't remember but the, the the top one is mars and they actually break down to like 7a 7b mm. 7c yeah. and like different areas on mars have the have the different oh, wow. kind of subsets so they they like really classify this right like really find out the fine detail and if you're in the top top mid like little you know micro tier of 7g or whatever it yeah. is you just you're not allowed to go there yeah like it's just curious <laughs> like, they don't send stuff there right oh okay wow so that's that's what you know people who are fighting planetary protection yeah. are trying to get rid of like this is just regulation right it's like government regulation basically that everyone hates yeah Oh yeah, I mean, I don't know where I, 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 I think it's because I don't know enough, but I don't know where I sit on this one because I kind of can, I can see the point. Obviously, you know, it would be an absolute tragedy, and I'm sure a lot of people would feel the same. That whole tragedy of a native life form being destroyed by, you know, Elon, Elon Musk showing off with a red dragon. You know, it, it, that's what it would, that's what it would feel like. <laughs> you know, particularly, yeah. you know, it. Just sending a couple of spacecraft because let, let's face it that there is no way that uh, that SpaceX will will have the will give that much of a you know will give that will give that much care to to um, uh, to, to that. But it, it, Elon Musk has pretty much said so that that you know that that that's not really massively on his agenda because he he can't see it being a problem. Um, yeah, it's it's tricky, and I think <clears throat> once we send. The SpaceX mission there, that's really going to be where the the kind of, yeah. um, you know, the, the rubber hits the road, right? Because until then, you have NASA, who's obviously going to abide by their own rules. They'd make the rules. They're going to follow them. Yeah. This is going to be someone who's going to push those. Like what, you know, you guys have have this extreme, you know, the, the, you know, the one side of the spectrum extreme view on what planetary protection should be. And then how far can we push that to the other end of the spectrum? How far are you going to let us, yeah. right? Because the the further we get, the less we this mission is going to cost, the less we have to do, like the, the lower risk to the mission, but greater risk to the planet. And I think that middle ground is what's where oh. we have to find. Oh, yeah, right? and, and what about national pride as well? Because you can see that if Elon Musk is able to get landers onto Mars, if that you know if that really is feasible, then presumably China, Russia, uh, and other you know other other countries aren't going to be too far behind in being able to do it and and I can't see the Americans sitting there and going oh no it's fine let just let just let china do it instead <laughs> so there's got that you know that the, there's a whole heap of issues isn't there and in the meantime you've got these poor little bacteria or whatever they are yeah unprotected so yeah i can't I, I, I don't know where i sit on it at all <laughs> I, really. I, I don't know either to be i'll be totally yeah. honest with you, i i don't know what the right level of 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 uh you know caution is mm. in this kind of thing because i am very interested in the science i want the science to succeed i want to get good samples mm. i want to get un unpolluted samples and 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 everything we can to do that but i also don't want to slow progress because that's equally bad yeah. in terms of trying to understand or answer scientific problems right so like yeah I, I, I am not educated or credentialed enough to know yeah. You know, what the right the right move is. I just uh <laughs> I I hope we are able to start having those discussions more frequently. Because right now it's just kind of 
chirping across the bow because they don't need to make yeah well i mean that's it right now we don't need to make a decision but you can clearly see that that day is coming you know it's one of those oh my god i have to do something about this and and you know maybe maybe there's there's a value in saying that having a a country like the united states or or an organization like isa which is uh you know built upon principles of free data and and open science uh most of the time we want to get there first because if we want to find something, then we can share it with the world. Because if a nation like China lands there first, we can't really count on the same level of, of transparency yeah. in what they find. And cooperation, right? yeah. I mean, that's just the way the way that China is. We don't get a lot of information about their missions, sometimes at all. And sometimes when we yeah. do, it's years and years and years later, right? You know, they're they're just starting to trickle out the, the Chang'e data from the, the lunar landers and rovers and stuff, right? So it's... <laughs> yeah, it's it's a little scary when you think of it that way. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, woo. So uh, that's heavy, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's yeah, it's. I, I do like it. But the <laughs> the Robert Zubrin quotes of the uh, of planetary protection from the other way of of oh of, Mar- yeah. of Mars of Mars infecting the Earth. I was just like, oh yeah, it would have happened already. Yeah, he he fixates on on that thing. He, I, I haven't heard one planetary protection like advocate say, "I'm so concerned for the Martian virus." That's not what they're talking about. Like, I, I don't really get this. He, he loves to use that Canada goose example, like checking checking your trunk when you cross the border yeah. from Canada to the United States to see what's if you that have a any boot? geese in it. Yeah, what's that about? Right? So. Yeah, I mean, there. Yeah, this this is. Yeah, it doesn't. It, yeah, it's all pretty crazy. Although I did like his yeah. um, sending humans, and if it crashes, you're going to have quite a few microbes all over the place. That'd be, yeah, yeah, and and even when we do take precautions, you can't get all of them, right? No, so. I mean, yeah, we 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 talked about tardigrades on our on our program a few times. You just think, crikey, if, if they're that resilient, imagine all the bacteria and viruses that you know just doesn't bear thinking about. Yeah. Uh, oh, I tell you what. Let's talk about let's talk about something other than Mars because there was there was a lot going on in space this week. Yeah, in it was fact, kind of a busy week. It really was a busy week, particularly when it comes to particularly when it comes to rockets. I mean, I'm I'm not even going to mention the Ariane and Soyuz earlier on, but um, the, the, there's uh, the Indians got to mention that one because that that looked absolutely epic. The uh, GSLV Mark Three, which, Mark Three, yeah, which is the Indian heavy lifter, right? I mean, it, that's the the people rocket. Uh, I think. Yeah. So yeah, I mean that that's what I was reading. Yeah, that it was uh, that is the one that's going to be carrying what do you call Indian uh, Indian astronauts? Hmm. <laughs> I think we had this. Oh, no. I think I actually had this on the podcast before, and and now I've forgotten. Isn't that terrible? India. Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. There should be a cool word for it. I hope there's a cool word. Bollynauts. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that i've got a horrible feeling it's boring and it's astronaut it's probably just astronaut. i think it is it? Yeah. Uh, like tychonauts is my favorite of all of them but you know, pretty good yeah. I, I i'm partial to cosmonaut though. yeah that's, cosmonaut. yeah that's like really <laughs> is the thing about cosmonaut is it keeps that like 60s space propaganda yeah, feel no, with it. like absolutely they just can't let that go right yeah and whenever you say think of the word cosmonaut you kind of hear people singing in that kind of yeah like the, the international <laughs> in the yeah, background yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> <laughs> so yeah you you said you knew a little bit about the whole history of the ISRO the Indian Space Research Organization is that right yeah it is right. I, I wouldn't say the whole history yeah, but, it's, but you know it's a little a bit pretty, come on I, I, <laughs> I like the story though because um if there's if you can see anything about the Indian people is that they are a resourceful industrious bunch mm. and if you go back and look at some of the early um, launchers and satellite uh, stories, uh, you know, I think their first satellite was called, uh, I'll, I'll butcher the pronunciation, but it's like Aryabhata, I think yeah. was the name of it. And, you know, really simple satellite, just kind of transmitter and like a I don't know, thermometer or something on there. But um, they you hear the stories of of the launch complex and they basically like set up the, the, they went to like this farm and the farmhouse was where they lived. And then there was a church on the property and that's like their (laughs) lab. And then they had like an old shed that they used to like, and it was like their, you know, their workshop or whatever. And then they like made a space program out of this like rural property on the coast of, of India. Hmm. And there's all these great like pictures of, of like a satellite 
um, resting on the back of a wagon being pulled by a cow <laughs> to the, you know, to the, uh, to the launch site and stuff like that. Like, wow. like that's the, the level of, of kind of, you know, duct tape um, uh, space program they were putting together. And they, they did it. Was, this is like the seventies. They put something into space in like the seventies. Like that's how far back it was. Was, was that right? the, S, was that the SLV three that took that up? 40 kilograms? Uh, sounds like, it. Yeah, yeah, it was the same. But, they've been using that same nomenclature yeah. the whole time. Right. Yeah. So. Wow. Yeah, SLV. So, you know, really simple, like solid-powered rockets and stuff. And uh, it's just remarkable. So to think that they've come all this way uh, from that is, is really, I don't know, I, I take a lot of inspiration from yeah, that. Yeah, so. I mean, I mean that that's a pretty beefy rocket, isn't it? A four, you know, four-ton payload. It's like, yeah, yeah I mean... Uh, this... so it's, it's bigger than a Soyuz. That's that's the yeah. key thing. So we, we put people into low-Earth orbit with a Soyuz, and this is a bigger rocket. So... Um, they can do it, right? Yeah, I mean it's it's well, imp- it's very imp- super impressive, and I did, I you know, I really like their sort of multiple satellite launches when they're doing. Oh well, just we'll just do a hundred and twenty. <laughs> oh, that was crazy! The Planet Labs one, right? Yeah. With all the the doves or whatever. They yeah, call them. I, I, yeah, on that, I loved, I love those uh, the YouTube clips of them all being ejected out the back, and they just they just keep they just keep coming. <laughs> it's like wow, yeah. <laughs> that is absolutely yeah, that, that is incredible. Uh, another another brilliant story in the news, and I, I kept missing it when it because this is one that made it onto onto normal television news, which space stories don't tend to get onto the BBC here. Not always, no. No, but this this one did is the Parker Solar Probe, mm, yeah, which is was pretty exciting, isn't it? And, and I, I I didn't realize that it's the only sort of NASA space probe that's named after a living scientist. So it's yeah, kind that's of cool. yeah. So Eugene Parker, who's stupidly you know he's one of these people that's mega mega famous for all his um sun science and so he was he he one of the kind of mysteries is that the whole corona being millions of degrees hotter than the surface of the sun which which doesn't yeah. seem to make any kind of sense whatsoever in fact i'm always no. quite, I'm, I'm actually always quite surprised that the surface of the sun is only six thousand degrees centigrade i mean that seems yeah, really it feels weird like it should be hotter yeah i mean that's you know i'm I'm sure there's load of Bunsen burners that get hotter than that, but the Corona's a few, <laughs> uh, a, the Corona <laughs> gets to a few million degrees, and and um, so Eugene Parker apparently is uh, is the, the kind of person that's put forward the most likely scenarios, nano flares, hmm. which is you know not the sort of things that you know Noddy Holder's children wear. That's not nano flares. <laughs> no, that's a different thing. <laughs> different thing. <laughs> so yeah you you put the what what sort of speed is it going at because you 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 put in the notes that you that the, the speed that it clips yeah, well, these you know if i if i was a good guest co-host i would have actually looked up the oh speed. no um but uh it's going yeah, fast because no, right? so, because this thing um this soon used to be called solar probe plus right that yeah. was the old name before yeah. they they gave it to parker right um and it has to use like four or five like venus flybys to to continually lower its orbit right, right. and it's, so no other spacecraft has gone closer to the sun than this thing will yeah um and basically the the lower you get that that perihelion um the uh the the faster you go and, and yeah. the bigger the body is the faster it's going to be too so you this is like the the fastest case scenario yeah, if you will, yeah. Right? <laughs> getting real close to the biggest thing in our solar system so uh it's some stupidly uncomprehensible number like a hundred and 80,000 kilometers an hour or whatever it is but yeah it's 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 huge i don't i don't even know it doesn't matter it's it's so big you don't even, <laughs> don't even get it yeah but presumably it's going to experience you know it's going to experience forces that no probe has come even close to experiencing i mean presumably the gravity there is just ridiculous the magnetic fields must be just crazy and yeah, and obviously this the heat and the heat <laughs> i mean <laughs> just just the heat yeah you know Presumably the solar panels on it are quite small. <laughs> yeah, they probably don't need to, to invest a lot too in much. Solar yeah, panels, yeah. No. I mean, it's, it's always surprising, isn't it, with uh, orbital mechanics that uh, it's quite hard to get to the sun and do anything. Yeah. It's like much harder yeah, to go that, that way than the other way. You think, well, it's almost like you feel as though you would fall towards the sun, but it's yeah. like completely the opposite. It's almost like we're on a, I guess a. a, a a playground spinning wheel that you try and get on and you get flung off, I guess, more than, than anything, but it still doesn't quite make sense in my head, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Orbital mechanics is a real, real mind. Twister. Yeah. Properly. Yeah. <laughs> but presumably they, presumably it's so it's, it's going to be going so fast 
uh, that 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 we're going to have to take in uh, relativistic effects, aren't we? Because I mean, it's one of the very it's one of the things that was sort of first of all was a crack in Newton's laws was the fact that Mercury wasn't quite where it should be each time that there was because Mercury is traveling so fast. So presumably this it's going to get closer than Mercury, right? This probe, so it's going to be going faster than that. If it's it if it's in orbit, closer than Mercury, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. So that does that mean? Hold on. So it's going faster. Does that mean that it uh, it slows down? Right. So yeah, like time slows down for it. Right. For it, um, except so, speeds up for us. So yeah, it's it's so clock's going to be weird compared to ours. It's going to get younger by yeah. by by going around this so fast, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or not? Or not get as old as it? Yeah. Should. So it, so its parts won't wear wear out as quick. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> we've discovered we've discovered the secret Maybe, to yeah. space mission longevity. Just go really, Just go really fast. fast. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it, it, here's another. Uh, we should talk about SpaceX because SpaceX seems to be having quite an epic week. For one, they've managed to do another one of these absolutely amazing uh, uh, things of reusing stuff. Yeah, I, they're I, starting I, to hum. Do you, do, you know, <laughs> do you know what's really funny in in the on the BBC? when they reported uh, the, you know, the first reusable booster that uh, SpaceX did, the first reused Falcon 9, it was sort of, the, the news articles on it over here were sort of SpaceX have a second-hand rocket. And it was like, <laughs> and, and it was, they just completely missed the point. And it was like, this is the BBC. And I, I just think the, the kind of mainstream media reporting of space is, is bizarrely low-end. <laughs> It's just crazy, isn't it? But but well, but, you got you got a lot going on there over, or this week, though. Yeah. Oh, this week's yeah. They're, they're, <laughs> this week's a pretty well. The, the last like four weeks is just crazy. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the, the election, how that's turned out, that's just oh my god, <laughs> it's crazy, <laughs> crazy times. It's it's, it, it's turned out quite well, I think. But there we go. The <laughs> so yeah, they've reused a dragon, the same dragon that went up on their fourth mission, is the same one that's gone up on the eleventh. And that's such a good news story. Yeah, I mean it's it's amazing. I mean it that must be I mean that that's the first time, right? That's the first time that uh, any any vehicles been twice to the space station other than the shuttle. Uh, Hang a second. Yeah, well shuttle did it, yeah. Um and then they they have that um the Air Force has that mini shuttle, right? The X-37B, but that's which a, has gone back to space. But it's never gone to the space station, has it? Not to station. Yeah, no, no, no. no, no, no. no. Yeah, talking of the X-37B, of course, SpaceX have won the launch of that, taken it, yeah. nicked it off the Atlas, which is pretty, yeah. but, which which I couldn't believe. I saw that in my feed. I thought, wow, that is, that's pretty bonkers. It's a pretty big, big story in terms of, yeah, it's high profile because it's this, this little sexy little, yep. little uh, space shuttle thing, but uh, it's just one more example of SpaceX trying to elbow the, their way into the market well right? and, um, and and the fact that it's a military one as well i mean it, it's not i mean spacex's first military launch was this year am i right so i mean it's like the fact, yeah you know, they just did it yeah yeah so it's it's it, so they're obviously getting trusted by the military so i can see that being super i mean that's super lucrative isn't it for yeah for spacex yeah, that's so, a big one so yeah. yeah they're having a great great week right i mean they're they're really starting to hit their their cadence yeah which is a good a good term for it yeah. right so they're they have seven missions now, and they've got literally like the next three weekends have SpaceX launches yep. planned, which is insane. <laughs> um, I, I can't think of a time when they've they've been able to launch that fast, or anyone's been able to launch that fast. Yeah, like that's uh, it's it's pretty scary. So they could have ten miss- missions by the end of this month, or you know by July first or whenever it is, right? So um, um, that's remarkable. Yeah. So um, yeah, and one of those is another flight proven Falcon Nine. Yeah, I believe. So that's uh, you know, so they're still knocking them out as well. Bulgaria sat. Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah, that's that's phenomenal. The only, th- I, I guess, the only downside for Musk this week has been he's uh, pulled out of his duties with President Trump over <laughs> over <laughs> over Trump pulling out of the uh, Paris Accord. Which, well, you know what they say, though, right? No, what? It's, it's better. To, <laughs> it's better to have loved and lost than to never love at all. Yeah. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> Did you see the picture that uh, Thomas Pasquet put in uh, of the? He took a copy of the Paris Accord up with him to the space station and took a I picture of that. it. Yeah, I thought, yeah. ouch. Yeah, it's it's not it's not popular, is it? That 
pulling that's a, out that's, that. a, that's a pretty uh pretty sick space burn <laughs> yeah have that one trump <laughs> so uh, and uh, and I'm, I'm glad that you've got a soft spot for the proton because <laughs> i've got proton. Oh, yeah i've got a soft spot for the proton as well mainly because it's such a great rocket it, it looks great doesn't it and it i think when it takes off the photos of Pront- proton are always amongst the best because there's there doesn't seem to be any kind of debris around it so you, you always seem to get these really close photos of it and the way it burns mm-hmm. seem to be really clear and you get all those and i always like there's no like there's no like launch tower apparatus yeah. like it's just kind of all like yeah. under under the <laughs> ground mounts so it just kind of it's just sitting there with like no yep. infrastructure, and then it's just like up, up I go, up I go, it's just yep. on its way. <laughs> so yeah, yeah so no, I love this. Rocket. Yeah, yeah, and it you know, it took Exo Mars, is that right? It did, didn't it? It did take yeah, Exo Mars, yeah. yeah, and it'll take the next one too, right? Yeah, so I mean, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a tidy little rocket, isn't it? The Proton looks great, but not but uh, it's been grounded ever since December because of um, dodgy rocket parts. Yeah, someone was uh, trying to cut corners on the engines. I think so. That is some that is some recall, isn't it? As well, seventy-one rocket engines having to go back to the to be recalled. That's pretty. Yeah, it's not not cheap. That's got to be expensive, isn't it? (laughs) So yeah, the boss was sacked. You'd be happy to hear, as he probably should have been. (laughs) So and the other ah, and this is I have to say this is one of my favorite things as well. I mean this this is awesome so we always talk about elon musk and jeff bezos obviously on the show but the one person that doesn't get as much mention is paul allen the microsoft guy and he's just rolled out onto the uh for a bit of fueling and testing is the strato launch that's that's a that's a beast isn't it of a, <laughs> a massive plane. I mean, it's a massive plane which is kind of made from uh purchased Boeing 747 spare parts, I believe. So, like, two Boeing 747s that were going to be sort of sold for parts being joined yeah, yeah. Joined, no, it's, joined together in the middle and made into a... The pic- pictures of this thing are just, like, mind-boggling because they show, like, these tiny little people next to it and it's, like, it's 300-some uh, it, it, wingspan. Like, oh, it's insane. Yeah, it's massive. And that's, that's again, built by Scale Composites who made the White Knight, which I, which I guess is a similar, you know, it's a similar deal, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's pretty, same same uh, general idea. Yeah, right? so that's kind of a twin fuselage. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, but this thing can carry three uh, Pegasuses, the Pegasus XL, up on a single flight to launch them. So that's that's pretty amazing, isn't it? To, uh, lifting payload of two hundred and thirty tons. <laughs> I don't really get the the Pegasus thing though. Like, so <laughs> I get the idea of bringing up like one big rocket yep. and launching. Yeah. It, the, well, the the cool thing is that like you can you can strap a rocket to this and fly anywhere and launch from anywhere yeah. at any yeah, time, yeah. right? That makes it really flexible. But is it that flexible if you have to take three payloads? Like, because if they're different customers, they're not going to want to launch at the same time yeah. or from uh, the uh, same place. I didn't, I must admit, I didn't get the three uh, Pegasus thing either. It sounds like they're trying to sell something. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, I, de- I didn't get it. I was trying to, I was, I was exactly what I was thinking. I was trying to think, well, what, what would be the purpose of that? Unless you had, you know, unless you were, I guess, especially, I suppose if you had some form of constellation that was three satellites being deployed at the same time. Maybe. It still doesn't make much sense. You would have still thought that it would have been easier to do, like you said, one bigger rocket. Sounds like you need to get Paul Allen on the show. Yeah, yeah. We'll get Paul Allen on. <laughs> <laughs> call him up <laughs> call him up job done <laughs> paul yeah. if you're out there give us a bell thank hey, you paul nice <laughs> well you know if i get jake robbins on the show i can get paul allen you know what I mean? if you've reached the 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 pinnacle of uh, podcast guests, yeah. <laughs> job done uh last i think this 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 should be our last story is the nasa new astronaut class that happened the other day Ooh. that every do you know what i, I i'm li- i'm reading um mike massimino's uh spaceman book at the moment which is brilliant by the way if, if, if you ever get the chance to read have you read that one i don't think i've read that one it's, no. it is brilliant most of the book is his experience of how to get to become an astronaut so mm. he, he you know he talks about obviously he talks quite a lot about space but it's it's more his journey to become an astronaut and and just how hard it is and just how, how amazing yeah. you have to be i mean this guy i mean mike massimino did two master's degrees simultaneously to even be in with a shot <laughs> so it's like what and uh and, and he and he could barely pass the eye exam but uh yeah. one of the i mean 
one of the good pictures, one of the brilliant pictures of these new 12 astronauts is them standing in front of a T-38. And I, and I didn't really know much about the T-38 until I, until I read this book. The T-38 is, is the plane that they sort of test their pilot, pilot skills and co-piloting skills yeah. in. And uh, but what but what the really cool thing is that they've got to have a certain amount of hours. So anywhere they go for meetings, they go in the T thirty eight. So it's like it's like it's kind of like their car. So they just go all around America, flying whizzing around this T thirty eight. But when they've got a launch, they fly in the T thirty eight and do these flyovers of their launch vehicle. So can you imagine that? How how cool it would have been for Mike Massimino to be flying around the space shuttle in a T thirty eight. Yeah, and you go, wow, that it, it's just so cool. But of course, now these twelve astronauts, they've all got the chance to do this training in this T thirty eight. And I, I really liked the uh, Mike Pence quote: uh, "As American astronauts, you may yet return our nation to the moon. You may be the first to travel to Mars, and you may have experiences that we can only imagine." I thought that was a that's pretty cool. So yeah, some of these people might go to Mars. They might be Here's hoping. Yeah, these might Here's be hoping. They their age I was quite interested by their age range went from twenty nine to forty two. Yeah. There was a lot of people in at twenty nine. A lot of a, a lot of the astronauts were women aged twenty nine, it seemed. And when you read yeah. their resumes, they, they, they really did really make me want to weep about what yeah. about what Jamie's doing with his life. <laughs> yeah or, or or me for that matter me. This, this is i think this is the first astronaut class where the for me it's where where the astronauts who come in like you say with you know 48 degrees yeah and they uh they're younger than me well they, and, they, uh, that's, that's yeah that's a struggle for yeah me. They, they, all, i mean they they all seem to have phds they've all got you know they've all got illustrious careers in either the military or in science or in engineering it's just it's it's absolutely crazy and you know you, you just look at them and you think when I mean, that uh, for me that that's the i i'd really like to know the story of the astronauts that that died in the uh the two shuttle disasters because i think it, that would be a really interesting thing to sort of bring home the kind of tragedy of astronauts losing their lives in missions because mm. they, they really are special people you know you, you don't get to be an astronaut without being a pretty amazing person, the best of the best. Yeah. I mean, these 12 people were whittled down from 18,300 applicants. And <laughs> you think, you know... They, it's they, a record-breaking yeah. application pool, right? Yeah, so, so I mean, yeah. the, 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 these are the best of the best. And you think, so it, it is a real tragedy if, you know, these people's lives are put in, in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. It makes me rethink yeah. my uh, gun-ho approach to wanting to see astronauts on <laughs> on EM1 on the SLS. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, but I still that's, th- a, that's a scary decision. <laughs> but I still think they should have done it. I mean, sure, surely the uh, escape tower works every time, right? <laughs> Let's find out, I guess. <laughs> see how I rapidly uh, contradict myself. <laughs> uh, uh, we should wrap it up. We we have be, we have talked. We've talked the hind legs off a donkey here. Holy smokes! Yeah, good, good. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks very much for for coming on and, and being me and me being Jamie. I think we'll call it that. <laughs> I'd like. I'd like oh, to. It's my pleasure. I'd like to say that I'd miss Jamie, but. <laughs> I don't, you know, Jamie. Don't worry, come back soon. Jake, we miss you, Jamie. Yeah, Jake, Jake was Jake was really good, a, a little bit better, but but <laughs> we miss you, Jamie. I'm I'm not better. I just oh, di- with different. One, He's different, Jamie. One fewer letter in my name means that I, I'm just a little bit more efficient. Yeah, all. he's more efficient than you, and younger, and taller, probably. <laughs> 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 right. so thank, thanks very much for, for for stepping in as the co-host that's really cool and no and, and as i say you, you call me anytime oh yes well absolutely every time jamie's away if i'm away maybe you can step in for me be awesome maybe yeah the um uh i ought to mention a, a couple of things because i'm off to do space up tomorrow which is the space up london representing the british interplanetary society but it's uh, run by the Planetary Society London, which was, uh, mm. yeah. So it's Harriet that uh, often on the show, she's, she's running that one. So there's quite a few people. Friend of the show. Friend of the show. So she's, uh, uh, there's going to be quite a few people there. So that should be quite good fun. And I've got, I've got to mediate some 
mediate is that what it's called moderate that's that's the word moderate, moderate. i've got to moderate some <laughs> panels mediate <laughs> got to stop people having fights and stuff like that so yeah it, oh man i wish i could join you yeah no it's it's it should be a little far from my house yeah it, it, it's a long way and it is tomorrow as well you probably really struggle yeah. to get there in time well i can leave for the airport right now i guess well this is the first interplanetary podcast that has been intercontinental hey god bless the queen god bless the queen <laughs> a couple of queen lovers like you and me the woman and the band <laughs> and the band you got it yeah so jake you're a drummer right is that right i am oh yeah, yeah. We, we, we should definitely have a podcaster's band podcasters podcaster band. band there's a so a funny story with some of the guests that i've had on my show mm-hmm. um i found out that three of them are trombone players <laughs> what and like and like yeah and i'd only had like 15 episodes by that time or something so i'm like what are the odds that like 20 percent of the people i get on my show play the trombone like that's a bizarre maybe there's a maybe there is a connection between geologists and trombonists they were all geologists so i I think there's probably a connection Hmm. (laughs) we'll have to do a study i think it's worth it release a paper might even get read out on the white house lawn (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> maybe <laughs> well thanks very much for joining us and stay tuned podcats and definitely tune into the wee martians when you get a chance it is the most informative podcast in the world about mars and mars exploration oh, and you you do you have some great guests as well hey i just got i just had a uh, uh did an interview right before this show with uh one of your your country people whoa whoa you're not gonna tell us who it is no you have to wait till tuesday oh. Oh.